glory to God. You have good reason to do so. While I do not know of each of you and some of the different challenges that we are facing this morning, the, the joys, the challenges, the ups and the downs that maybe you walk through this week, what I do know, and I know so emphatically, is that each and every one of us needs Psalm 29. This particular psalm is incredibly clear and immensely practical. I can say this without a doubt. You need Psalm 29 in your life, and so do I. It speaks directly to the deep struggle that happens in every human heart. So this morning, as we kind of walk through this text, really only two points. The first thing I want us to consider, we see this in verses 1 through 2, is the command to give glory to God. Again, we see this in verses 1 through 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. What are we commanded to do according to these two verses? Three times it says, Ascribe. Render or regard, acknowledge or give, hand over. What are we ascribing? Glory. Four times throughout the psalm, this word glory takes its place at the front and center of the text. In the Old Testament, the word literally means heavy or weighty. For example, when God meets Israel on Mount Sinai, we're told that the cloud descends on the mountain. It is described as being thick or heavy with rain. So to give God glory basically means to proclaim to the, the Lord His full and supreme, His weighty worth. To acknowledge God in the fullness of His splendor and His majesty. Recognizing God as being heavy with strength, weighty with power. To give glory to God is to come to terms with God as He is. Now here's the deal. This is a command, but we were actually designed for this. We are all, every one of us, hardwired to glory in something. Every single one of us. It is our deep-rooted disposition. It is in our blood and it is in our bones to glory into something. It's, it's the reason we are so easily caught up in transcendent beauty, to enjoy the virtuosity of Mozart, or the prose of Dickens, the, the poetry of Hughes, or the color of Van Gogh. It's the reason we are caught up in the energy and the excitement of a last second shot or a successful Hail Mary pitch. It's the reason you and I are all drawn to the stillness and the quiet of beautiful starry woke up on, it was Friday, was it Friday already? Friday to snow. To snow. Is that Friday? Yes, I think so. One day this week, you woke up in snow if you live in Iowa City. I don't even know what day of the week it is anymore. Well, incredibly demoralizing, it was also absolutely stunning and undeniably so. As I drove out of my neighborhood, I think Friday morning, 
I simultaneously thought, I'm kidding. And I thought,
distance separates us. It also affects our sight. Sin sort of blurs our vision, so to speak. Well, we know that God reveals Himself throughout creation so that no one is without excuse. Romans 1, verse 19. Our vision is still blurred. It's possible to walk through this life without recognizing the beauty but not acknowledging where it comes from. Our vision is blurred. Our sight is blurred. Another thing that sin does is it, it in our sin, we substitute God out in something else in His place. It tempts, it, it tempts us to substitute something else in God's place. Romans 1, 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. So sin causes us to, to worship something, but oftentimes not God. In the, in the context of this passage, it would have been the pagan gods of the world. But for many of us, it's, it's the created world itself that we worship. We worship maybe people or, or positions or, or careers or wealth, not God itself. But as we read on through the psalm, we can be encouraged because as we are commanded to ascribe our glory to God and God alone, we're given really good reason for why we should. To the first one in verses three through nine, give us reason for hardship, sin, and praises. The first one, verses three through nine, is this: through His voice, God's power is particularly evident. These, these verses poetically describe the movement of a storm as it moves in from far out over the Mediterranean Sea. The storm heads east, crashing into the coastal mountains of Lebanon, and then Mount Hermon. Finally, moving further east, it shapes the wilderness of Kadesh. When a Canaanite heard the sound of the storm, which in the ancient world would have been quite possibly the loudest sound they could have ever heard, they would have attributed the sound to the voice of Baal, their storm god. The psalmist is emphatic. It is not the voice of your storm God. It is the voice of the one and true God, Yahweh himself. In many ways, Psalm 29 is a protest psalm against the worship of Baal. See this in verse 3 through 4 as, as the psalmist introduces us to the concept, the idea of the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The waters in the ancient world were dark and mysterious, wild and unpredictable, constantly threatening to overwhelm the order of regular life. They, they represented a source of potential chaos and destruction. You think of the storms that crashed into our land, and you see the, the destruction it leaves in its wake. I think of Katrina off the top of my head as one prime example of the power of storm. But the tumultuous forces of the mighty waters are no match for the glory and the power and the majesty of the Lord's voice. Verses 5 through 8 tells us the effects of the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He, he makes Lebanon to skip like a path, and Syrian like a 
young wild ox. As the storm makes its way into the mountains of Lebanon, it does so with tremendous force. Lebanon was considered a, a sacred land for the Canaanites as they believed their gods lived there. But their pagan gods are no match for the voice of the Lord. It wreaks complete destruction. Even mighty cedars, symbols of strength and, and pride, are laid low. The mountains, towering and sturdy as they are, will skip like a cat at the sound of God's voice. Verses 7 and 8, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. The devastation continues as the storm moves. Lightning flashing, oak trees swirling, forests stripped bare. Seven times we hear the voice of the Lord. And we learn how God's people respond to the voice of the Lord. We see it in verse 9, and in his temple, all cry glory. Giving glory to God is the natural and appropriate response to the awesome revelation of God through his voice and in creation. The power that comes from the voice of God is a reason we should give praise right now in your living room to God. Reason number two. Why else? Why else should we give glory to God? Well, so there's another reason, and it's this. The God of glory is in complete control and offers His divine Please look at verses 10 and 11. I hope you have your Bible open. Oh my goodness, I hope you have your Bible open. Verses 10 and 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king over Just mentioning the reference here of the flood and the reference to the flood of Noah found in Genesis 6 through 10. Though the waters they were absolutely chaotic and destructive. God still It was because of God that the waters came. And it was because of God that the waters subsided. Though the flood was an act of divine judgment, God also demonstrated his divine compassion and mercy by preserving a people, a family, and establishing a covenant with Noah, which serves for us today as a promise that our faithful God will keep. And it's this, never again, never again, God sits enthroned over the flood. He controls the waters. He has the ability to protect us never again. Why?
glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. During his life, Jesus demonstrated over and over and over again that he was indeed the powerful voice of the Lord. Mark 4 tells us a story of one night when Jesus and his disciples, maybe it's one that you're familiar with, they were, they were crossing the Sea of Galilee when suddenly they found themselves in a great storm. Waves crashing into the boat, water filling the boat. The disciples, experienced fishermen, though they were, this is not their first storm, mind you, and they were terrified. Meanwhile, Jesus is sleeping in the stern. So the disciples, wake teacher, don't you care? We are perishing. Jesus, assessing the situation, seeing the threat, speaks to the wind and the sea. Peace. Be still. And immediately we are told that the wind ceased and it was a great calm. His disciples, in total shock, trying to make sense of the situation, asked, Who then is this? Not even the wind, or even the wind and the sea obeyed him. Well, based on Psalm 29, the answer is clear. He is the one who's sitting enthroned over the flood. This Jesus can still even the mighty storm. Matthew 8 tells us one day a Roman centurion came to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus, he asked Jesus to heal him. Jesus is agreeable. I'll come and cure him, Jesus says, for the centurion is not happy. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you in my home to say the word, and my servant will be healed. The centurion believed that the voice of Jesus would be sufficient to overcome even the distance between them. Jesus responds, Go, let it be done so for you as you have believed. And we're told that the servant is healed at that moment. Jesus' voice can heal at a distance. John 11, one more. After having, after hearing that his friend Lazarus had fallen ill and, and had died, Jesus went directly to the tomb he was buried in. Upon his arrival, he commanded the stone be moved away. Jesus, then we are told, lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Then he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And just like that, the man who was once dead comes walking out of the grave. The voice of Jesus can give life, does give life to the dead. The question that becomes, how do we